Hey everybody, welcome back to The Ungrown Ups. This is episode three. The third episode. In this episode, we talk to our friend Sarah, and rather than give you a long intro, we're just going to kick it off. So, here, here we, we go. go. All right, so welcome back, guys. And to make things even more special, this is our Thanksgiving episode, but we also have Sarah Fa Fairfield. Sorry, Sarah, for fucking up your name. <laughs> Sarah Fairfield uh, joining us, and uh, she's a friend of Ryan R's. She's quite an awesome person. That's the intro. That's, oh, well, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Sarah. I sold it, right? Hi. Awesome, right? <laughs> Thank you. So uh, Sarah is one of those few people that, that is uh, good at a lot of things. She's a uh, professional stunt driver. She's a race car driver, I guess you would say, uh, racing Le Mans, racing lemons. Right. Um, and uh, she also works uh, for a pretty cool automotive-focused media company. You could say that. Yeah. yeah. So Sarah wears several hats, and she's here because she likes cars, we like cars, and we like playing with them. Hi, nice Hello. to have you here. Hi, it's nice to be here. Awesome. We uh, we appreciate you saying that. So what is the latest thing that you've been up to? I know you've uh, had a lemons race recently. So let's talk about that. First off, what, what the hell is lemons for those of those people out there that don't know? Lemons is an endurance race for $500 cars. <laughs> so the idea is it's a play on words with uh, the famous race in France called Le Mans, but it's, it's a pun in lemons. And so they're basically crap cars. That have to be 500 bucks, but they have to have all the relevant safety equipment. So they have roll cages and things of that nature. But the safety equipment doesn't factor into the cost of the car. And these teams get to decorate or theme their cars. And I know, uh, Sarah, over the years, your, your team, Eyesore Racing, has had a bunch of different themes to the car you're racing. And what car do you guys race? We race uh, an old Miata, a first-generation NA Miata. And we threw a turbo on that thing. So it makes a little bit more horsepower, a lot of bit more horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you happen to ever see this car in person, I've I've seen it several times. It, at this point, it's almost more fiberglass, bondo, and cardboard than original sheet metal, right? Yeah, I don't know if there's any fiberglass on it though. It's there is cardboard and there's a lot of coroplast. Okay. And. Uh, no Bondo, it's just wrinkly. <laughs> we didn't bother to fix any of that stuff. It's definitely an eyesore. Yeah, it, that Absolutely it definitely is. Name, right? <laughs> and so you, where do you guys race typically with these cars? Um, we do mostly California races, although the series is all over the country, and even Australia and New Zealand these days. Oh, wow. But we tend to stick to California. It's a big state. Uh, there's usually races at Sonoma Raceway, Thunder Hill Raceway, and Buttonwillow Raceway. Do you have a preference of those tracks? Like, which one's your your favorite? Hmm. I I think Sonoma and Thunder Hill are yeah. two of my favorites. I started out at Thunder Hill when I started doing track track stuff, and so I kind of consider that my home track. Although I've been away for so long, I've raced more at Sonoma by now, I think, than I have at Thunder Hill. And then we race the full five mile course at Thunder Hill now. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. Which is fun, but it, I really enjoy the blind crest type turns and that running the West Loop cuts out turn nine on the original three-mile track that I always really liked. So there's a question there then. So you, you just said that's kind of your home track, uh, Sonoma, you said, right? So what, Thunderhill. Or Thunderhill, sorry. What's the, how did you even get started in racing? What what led up to you sitting in your first race car? Let's see. I, I grew up in a car-oriented family. And my dad always had a sports car, and he also likes classic cars. And I quickly decided that classic cars were not fun, since I had to spend a lot of time sitting around at 
car shows, classic concours sure. d'elegance with lots of old people that didn't have young kids for me to play with or spend time with. So what kind of classic cars did he have? Are we talking like Tri-5 Chevy kind of stuff or older or? British. 1930 Packard. Oh, oh wow. Okay. okay. And a 1934 Ford pickup. It's like classic, classic. classic not cars. muscle car era. We're talking no. 30s, 40s. Yeah. Okay. We do have a 1960, they have a 1966 Mustang convertible too. My my mom always wanted one, so. That's cool. My first one. car was a 67. Not convertible, but 67 Mustang. Our Mustang's not show quality by any means. It's kind of their cruising, Sunday cruising car. That's, that's how it should be. It I, should these be, people yeah, that, you know, they've got these show quality cars. Like even Conquer stuff is hard for me to, to really enjoy because they're just, the cars aren't used. They're too perfect. You know, they didn't even look like that when they came out of the, the factory. The, the factory. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they're even built better than they yeah. were originally. <laughs> it's kind of silly. So anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so I when I got close to driving age, I started to focus on cars that looked cool and, you know, what's going to be my first car? And I just kept pointing out cars like, hey, hey guys, that would be acceptable for me to drive and like trying, Dropping to, hints. trying to nudge them in a direction. Like if you're going to buy another car that you're going to eventually let me drive, take a look at this one. Did it work? Um, since they already had pretty good taste in cars, they probably got me something better than what I was pointing out because I was just clueless. Like I was 14 and I didn't really know right. anything. I was like, Hey, that Saturn SC2 is kind of cool looking. <laughs> All those composite panels. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen. So they, what was your first car? A 1987 Nissan 300ZX. Oh, rad. It's pretty That's cool. Not a fast car by any means, yeah. but it was you know, sportier than most. And it was a nice car for sure. It was a nice car. Manual? Automatic? Manual. T-tops? Oh yeah, they all had T-tops. What color? It was metallic red. Nice. Ooh. That's a hell of a first car. Yeah. How long did it say stock? I never modified it. It never got modified. Okay. Since your dad was into like these Conquer restorations, was that kind of his aesthetic, just keeping everything looking original? Or was that just because you were more focused on just the driving aspect than the customer customization aspect? I guess I didn't know very much about the customization aspect. The internet was still new at this time, and there weren't many people that had really customized cars. And my dad didn't do a whole lot of that stuff. He'd tried to soup up soup. <laughs> he tried to soup up his his old like 280z and in the process managed to make things more difficult mm, for yeah. himself and i think he decided that it was better to just leave things as is as yeah so you, your car was a turbo or non-turbo it was a non-turbo okay. 160 horsepower three liter v6 3400 pounds 3300 yeah. pounds it was definitely a gt car by yeah. by this time so that's but cool still, i mean a, a rear-wheel drive first cars that was always still too like such yeah. a good looking car my friend's dad had a, a turbo a twin turbo that i just it was a beautiful car yeah yeah it was really cool well so, that's what i went to next so well i, I took that z to college mm -hmm. and i ended up dating a guy who autocrossed so that was my first introduction to any type of motorsport other than going to like the circle track races right. at, at the fairgrounds with my parents. So how long did you have the, the, your first Nissan before you actually took a turn behind the wheel for autocrossing? Was it like uh, two years, two, three years? And did that just totally change your, your outlook on what you could do with the car or? It definitely made me want to keep going with it. I knew that my car wasn't that good at it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, autocross, though, was getting frustrating because it was becoming really popular. And you would only, there were so many people at the events that you would only get three runs. Right. And oh. there weren't, there wasn't time for fun runs. And they were all kind of a far haul to, to even get to them. And then you got to stand out there in the parking lot and shag cones all day for that your, was, for that, your three your minutes. Keep. Yeah, that was always the worst. And we, we definitely did a, we did a lot of autocrossing in San Diego. It was kind of the place for us to go up here. And it was the same thing. You go down there, it eventually gets so crowded. You get three runs. There's no fun runs. Cones is the worst part. I mean, I know everybody should help, and I, I totally agree with that. But, man, is it miserable standing out in the sun. Yeah. So how did you realize, like, so when you're looking at the car, you go, okay, how do you know where's the weak point? Like what could be better me or the car as a starting autocrosser? Like for me, I would assume that I have more to develop more than just blaming the car for my inabilities. You're not cut out to be a race car. You always blame the equipment. Well, yeah, I know. But I mean, it's, it's for some people, it's like, you know, they always say it's slow car fast, right? right. So until you master cornering and acceleration and breaking all those things you don't really need that much more power until you've nailed the 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 inputs that you need to make to that vehicle and then from there you build up but as a starting out autocrosser like i would want to just jump to the next level of vehicle rather than maybe spending that time honing my skills but i guess it's just a matter of perspective or it just in your case was it just you had already plateaued in terms of your times and you knew you the car was holding you back or how did you i didn't i didn't do enough to or or feel like it was fun enough to pursue like, oh, I need a better car for this autocrossing thing. I definitely knew that my skills had a long way to go because I did a, uh, I sat passenger with another autocrosser, like a guy who used to go to nationals yeah. and stuff like that. And his race car had broken. So he just did runs with his tow car, <laughs> which was a Ford F-150. And, and he's beating you. And he beat me yeah. easily. Yeah. And I could see how smooth and and good he was and i it was obvious that you know i'm driving my car differently and i'm nowhere near his level i really only did a handful maybe 10 events over two years i was in college right and i i enjoyed it and i enjoyed seeing the cars watching other people and i also met a group of guys who were out there doing the autocrosses with their Z32s, the second gen 300 ZXs. And I thought they were beautiful. I rode with them. I rode with the non-turbo guy. I rode with the twin turbo guy. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely getting the twin turbo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm skipping right over this non-turbo business. So you started hanging out with that group of guys with the autocrossing? Yeah. Did they help you find your next vehicle? Or was that something you just kind of did on your own? I did it on my own. I looked for a low mile car and found one in the color that I wanted and everything. And of course, you're still, you're still using this car as your daily driver, right? So this isn't like a, a yep. race-only vehicle. So you have to kind of balance the practicality of commuting and racing, I guess. I didn't need a practical car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one person. I'm going, well, yeah, yeah. I'm in college. I, I don't need to haul stuff. I don't need, I don't, I don't need to haul a bunch of friends around. I, I drove between home and college once in a while and, some other towns in the Bay Area, and uh, I just wanted a fun car. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess being away at school, it's not like you have a garage to work on the car with. So at the same time, it's like you can't be too aggressive with what you're doing to the car because you still need to get use that car to take you places. You know, it's still your basic mode of transportation. So I was just kind of curious if that factored into it. You're probably mm -hmm. not doing an engine swap. Right. But I mean, are you doing coilovers? Are you, you know, stiffening up the suspension to the point where your teeth are rattling to get you to campus, but <laughs> it's improving your lap times on the, on the autocross circuit? Nope. 
I I didn't think about any of that at all. I never actually even autocrossed that car. What oh, color wow. was it? That's what I want to know. Pearl yellow. Uh, of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've only ever, well, not, I shouldn't say only ever, but it seems like most of those E's were either yellow or red. Uh, yellow was fairly rare, actually. Maybe then it's just an or, a, a thing where I happen to remember seeing a bunch of them. Yeah, they're memorable in that color, for right. sure. It was a good color. The other colors were, I mean, you know, white, black, silver, gray. They look good in all the colors, yeah. but there was like a dark blue and I'm a total nerd about all of the Z colors and stuff. And I can tell you like what colors were made every year. Oh, nice. And the official okay. names for each color. <laughs> I think I might've forgotten a few of those by now, but yeah, I know, I know a lot of them. Cherry red pearl. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so what took you from, so you've got, now you've got a twin turbo, a yellow twin turbo Z, not auto crossing that car. What, where did you go with that car? I went directly to the track with it. Perfect. I went to Thunder Hill. Excellent. Uh, when I got it, it had 46,000 miles on it, and I was a year away from graduating, so I, I never took it to autocross. I focused on finishing school, and the club of guys that had the Zs, they, were, they rented out the track and did their own track days. Oh, right. So That's they cool. told me they we're doing a track day in March at Thunder Hill, and my car needed a timing belt. So I was like, oh, crap, I don't want to do a track day right around 60,000 miles. So There's definitely a risk involved. Yeah. One of the guys, he had recently bought like an old ITA or ITS 240Z. Oh, okay. And just to have that as his fun track car. And he just offered to let me drive it in the beginning group. Oh, nice. That's super, super, super nice of somebody to yeah, do. Yeah, so generous. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say it's not a bad thing being a girl in the uh, male-dominated. So were you, were you like an official member of this Z crew, or were you just kind of like... Yeah, I, be, I became a, a member of the club, and I went on all their events, and I was on their you know chat room and on their email list. Yeah, and... the chat rooms. Does the club still exist? <laughs> no. Did it have a cool name? Or is it like... Club Z. Club Z. <laughs> That unfortunately could be quite confusing. I would show up and Clubs. Like, you know, ready to club. Yeah. <laughs> we had business cards and stuff, so you could like put them under other Z owners, you know, on yeah, ca- yeah. on cars and other windshield wipers and stuff. Yeah, it You're was a hardcore. thing. How That's big awesome. how big was the, the crew? Uh we had a good crew of about twenty, I would say. And That's a good size. Yeah. There were some more periphery members that didn't come to all the things, but they would come to the big events or something like that. And we would do a big caravan down here to Orange for the Motorsport Auto Show and make it a big weekend. The track days, we had meetups at like Dave and Buster's and Milpitas (laughs) and big club lunches. Did you say Milpitas? Milpitas. Oh, man. I've been to that Dave and Buster's more than I want to admit. Yeah, I think everybody, if you've been in the Bay Area, has been to that Dave and Buster's at some point. You know, interesting fact about that building that mall the milpitas mall whatever the hell it's called that used to be a ford plant the great mall yeah the great mall that's what it was it was a ford plant yeah yeah it's where my mustang was, was built, built. Yeah. yeah super cool <laughs> and now it's home to, to dave and busters dave and yeah Buster. and other <laughs> quality stores <laughs> the track days start does that i mean is this becoming an obsession for you or is this still like ah you but, know when i get the chance like before you tell the rest of that i'm i'm a little i'm thinking about this and there's might be one person maybe two that have just freely offered up their car to me there are a lot of really nice people in automotive i've found at lemons also really right. generous awesome people who will definitely offer up their cars to people if they need one mm-hmm. or 
Yeah, I yeah, I'm always just... seeing stories of people who wreck and need a part and other teams are like, oh yeah, you can have my alternator or this, that or whatever. And it's it's amazing just the camaraderie, you know, that, that common interest of racing or motorsports is, just, is that bond that everybody uh, shares. But to your point, just handing the keys over to your car and going, all right, have fun. Yeah, I mean, it's not something, I think it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily unique to to motorsport, but it is a great community. Like just Sarah, yeah. Sarah just said, you know, I, mean, I have a lot of rally experience and there's been times where it's, you know, we've had an issue and you show up to the trailer to fix something and everybody's there. What, what do you need? How can we help? Like, it's pretty amazing. The, just the communities are really, really cool. Yeah. Lemons too. It's, it's like that. There are people who their car broke or crashed or something like that. And other teams are like, we were just, you know, we have this car for sale or we weren't going to run it or it was up for rent, but nobody's renting it. So just here. Go for it. Yeah. It's sitting there <laughs> not being used. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So your first time out in that 240 ITS, how did you do? I had a great time. I was in the beginning group. I'm sure I wasn't going very fast right. looking back on it. I did hang the tail out going around turn three. Nice. So I, and I saved it. I didn't go off the track. No, no far offs, no, no incidents. And it, it was definitely kind of a ragged old race car because the door flung open going around that turn also on one lap and, and I'm strapped in in the five point harness and I can't reach the door to pull it back in but luckily there's you know another turn right after that so it just slammed shut and That's latched hilarious. that time and then I did the last session of the day I took my own car out mm. just to see what it could do see yeah feel it out a little bit and it was off to the races from there I started doing more track days, got my timing belt changed. And I think the next year I did every SoCal NASA race weekend. Oh, wow. That's quite both, a bit. Almost both days, except for one where I ran out of brakes and I didn't have brake pads because I was completely unprepared. Like I didn't bring anything with me. I didn't. <laughs> at, the, at the time. So then are you also, you're, you're working on your car, I'm guessing, right? So you're learning how to work on the cars as you're learning how to, to take them on the track or how did that work out? Or yeah. did you already know from, from your dad? Uh, I didn't know that much. And I had uh, some of the club guys would help me. One of them helped me, watched me basically oh, change my brake master cylinder when that died. Yep. He kind of was like, okay, now you know, now you undo that and now you do that. And then I started dating someone else and he helped me change my brake pads and... Uh, I had another friend who was helping me get sway bars for my car and started me helping me do all the Jim Wolf mods to oh, it nice. and stuff like that. I got yep. the ECU, I did the boost jets and uh, started going to the dyno. <laughs> <laughs> Getting serious. It, so, gets, it gets addicting pretty quick. When you're doing these race weekends down in Southern California, since you're up in the Bay Area, are you just commuting down in that car with the wheels and tires on? Are you swapping tires for the event or? I did no swapping whatsoever. I just hopped in the car and drove it drove straight it down. to the track. Yeah, I, I went all the way to Cal Speedway, oh, Auto wow. Auto Club Speedway yep. now. I went to Willow Springs. I That's like Nathan. We had Nathan on, a, I guess, an episode ago. It'll be at this point. But Nathan, same thing. So he's got a, an RX-8. And he the only thing he does do, though, is he puts uh, four track tires. So he's, he's running slicks now, I think, is what he's running, or R compounds. But he'll throw those in the back of the car to hold those. And then he swaps them at the track. So when you start doing these track days, does your dad come by at any point? Or is he just, that's your thing? Have fun with it? What would your parents think Yeah. Like, are they interested? Do they want to help? Or are they just like, all right, just be safe kind of thing? I don't remember very much. They, no. they didn't come. They never came. Have they ever <laughs> seen you race? 
Yes. Okay. They now they come to almost all of my lemons races now. Oh, cool. But at the time, they were doing a lot of traveling. Okay. My dad was recently retired. They just bought a motorhome, so they would just hop in the RV and take off for three months. So I just yeah, you were doing your own thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Have you ever raced your dad? No. Have you ever taken him for a ride? Yeah, as or a pastor. I took them for a ride a couple of years ago in my M Coop at Laguna Seca. And what'd they say? My mom needed to be let out. <laughs> <laughs> the corkscrew made her tummy feel funny. Okay. Yeah. And as my, it does. Yeah. And my dad was impressed. <laughs> That's cool. And he couldn't understand why I was accelerating going down the hill. He was like, I wouldn't have thought that you would step on the gas while going downhill. I'm like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you get there faster. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he, while he was interested in and taught me initially about apexes and things like that, and he enjoyed a good mountain road, and he used to ride motorcycles too. Oh, perfect. Uh, he never did any racing of his own. You got to get him out on the track. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. But I mean, at the same time, he planted that seed of automotive interest and you took it further and went down into the racing path where he's still kind of down the... the Enthusiast? Yeah. I mean, you're both automotive enthusiasts with just slightly different focuses. Yeah. But it would be kind of fun to race your dad just to see what would happen. But Or at least just get him out on the track and get him in a car. That'd be pretty cool. Especially if you could do it somewhere, maybe on a go-kart track, but somewhere where there's no real clear advantage since you're familiar with the track or the vehicle or whatever. But that could be a fun adventure. Eh. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. I think he always loved the Malibu Grand Prix uh, before go-kart track, like indoor yeah, yeah, go-karting yeah. was a thing and stuff like that. But I was never big enough to do it when he was sort of always wanting to do it. And right. Malibu Grand Prix was far away. Yeah, yeah. It was a big ordeal to go there. It was always expensive too. Yeah. yeah. Not a typical thing that we ever did. And so by the time I was getting into cars and doing doing track stuff and he was traveling around the country, just never never overlapped. Yeah. And uh, uh yeah, it would have been really fun to do like indoor karting or something like that, but he's slowed down a lot mm. since since retiring. He's not the not the zippy guy he once <laughs> was. So how long of your or how long into your racing do you start looking at stunt driving or exploring that option? Uh, it wasn't for a long time. It was never. It never felt like a tangible reality until I met another female stunt driver. Right. It was just like oh, this is a thing. Uh, like it, uh, so, so you're just you're just kind of going. You're just enjoying doing track days. For yeah. The most part. And racing lemons. Right. And. And then yes. all of a sudden this just kind of appears on your radar like, oh, that's yeah. a thing I could do. Well, yeah. what was what was in between track days and lemons? What else did you start doing? Because you got the Z, you're doing track days. Then you have to make a leap somewhere into wheel to wheel. It was just when lemons started. The first event showed up on you know somebody's radar. Right. And we had a friend who worked with that somebody. Right. And so our friend found out about it and we were all having dinner one night and he said, hey, I heard about this thing called 24 Hours of Lemons. And everybody was... Just like, oh, we're doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're definitely doing that. And what was that first race done with? What car were you using? We had a 1983 or 4 CRX, Honda CRX. Was it something that somebody already had? Or would you guys actually pull your money together and pick this thing up? Or Specifically went out and bought it. It was a car that somebody had built for Rally. Okay. And it had this ridiculous cage in it. Like, ridiculously overbuilt it was insane and it had two shocks on each side in the back (laughs) (laughs) oh they were serious yeah all right and it had a bash bar on the front and stuff like that i want to see what a crx rally car looks like that sounds kind of cool 
It was just the old yeah. royal blue color yeah. still. They never actually rallied it, I don't think. So we picked it up for cheap. It still had carbureted engine. <laughs> None of us know anything about carburetors. <laughs> it would take me a while to get back up to speed. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill, being able to tune a car these days. Yeah. So we pretty much just took it straight racing. <laughs> Gambler. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the Gambler. I want in so bad. Yeah, it I just, want to do it too. It looks so stupid in the best way. Yeah. So, so the Gambler is kind of the sim- similar idea to Lemons. It's just, it's a shit car that you modify to take on this kind of a road rally, but there is some off-road terrain or whatever, depending on the course. I think most of them now are just straight off-road. And a lot of these guys are showing up with stuff that is probably going to break in half about 15, you know, 15, 20 miles in. Yeah. It, but it looks amazing. It's all about the, the back art, backyard engineering. It's just mm-hmm. the kind of interesting, looks like it may work, but may not work for long kind of setups, right. but they're definitely awesome to look at. Just some of the, some of the things I've seen just over the years from the, uh, the different gambler setups, I've seen lifted crown Vicks cars. You wouldn't even consider. None using. of them look safe either. No, which I think is part of the appeal to me. But they all look fun. Yeah, they all look like a riot, and that that idiotic, you know, Mad Max sort of part of it looks pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I like lemons because they'll hand out points for the car, like the aesthetic. Like teams will do complete themes. So like uh, the Homer from The Simpsons is somebody has turned a BMW 3 Series into a Homer. Looks just like it, lime green, huge dome in the back. And so I've seen what the family truckster, I've seen a bunch of just really well done tribute cars, I guess, racing on the track with other crap cans. And it's just hilarious. It's a lot of costumes too, right? Yeah. In the beginning, there was a lot more. Well, it kind of, it ramped up after the first couple of races where mm-hmm. some people started showing up with some very elaborate themes pretty early on. And then the costumes that matched kind of started showing up. And there were a handful of teams that started really stepping it up even further. You guys were part of that handful, weren't you? We were part of that handful. Yeah. So, yeah, they used to give out, uh, organizers' choice would often go to one of the best-themed cars. And there used to also be People's Choice, where they used to pass out a ballot, and there was a People's Choice and a People's Curse. And People's Choice was, a lot of the time, a really fun-themed car. Sure. And people's curse was usually somebody that drove like an asshole <laughs> or had a what seemed to be a very obviously cheater car. Yeah. But the cool thing with the racing series is the penalties are just kind of outrageous. Like they're not always racing related, but sometimes it's you're duct taped to the hood of a car and have to drive through the pits at like five miles an hour. It's just They're just random penalties. And it just adds to the amusement factor because, I mean, nobody seems to really be taking themselves seriously. And it just seems like so much of a good time. Yeah, that's the whole point. It's not meant to be truly competitive. Right. It's supposed to be ridiculous. And the more ridiculous of a race car that you bring, like a car that has no business racing, the organizers will encourage that more than anything. Mm -hmm. They want to see slow 1950s or 60s or 70s. Any anything slow that just should not be. But it makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Go ahead. I was going to say, it's interesting too, because even as a race team, there's different strategies. There's the go fast or the fuel efficient option. So some of the cars that end up winning are the ones with the bigger fuel tanks, so they don't have to stop and refuel, even though they're not able to go as fast as some of the other cars. But it makes for all sorts of exciting dynamics when you're watching the race. For sure. A lot of the races are won and lost in the pits. Eyesore has won several times. I mean, you guys have won like actual championships for the the 11 seasons and stuff, right? 
Yep. We won the national championship in 2010 and in 2016. So though, if it's a national championship, is this a, a national true thing where you've had to go out of state or is it some other formula that they like use? Like a points factor and you just had more points winning in California? It's a point system. So you get points for entering cars and then you get points for finishing in the top 10. Mm. So the more races you do and the more cars you enter, sure. the higher chance you have of winning. You don't have to go out of state, but a lot some people do. Mm. Uh, California is lucky because we have so many many people and so many tracks and so many races here. Whereas people in the Midwest might just have a harder time if you're somewhere in the boonies. So for all the lemons races you've done, what has been the, your favorite, I guess, theme? The one I remember is, I think you guys went as like Molly maids or something like that. And the entire race team was wearing French maid outfits. Yeah, that was my idea. (laughs) And seeing a bunch of dudes dressed up as French maids is pretty entertaining. I got to admit, they weren't my favorite pictures. (laughs) (laughs) It was entertaining. I was entertained. I think a lot of people were a little angry about it because they would see a bunch of French maids from behind or whatever. And then (laughs) they'd turn around and half of them were dudes or something like that. And they'd be like, oh, no, that's not fair. That's just rude. No, that's amazing. That's what makes it even better. We might have been the first team to start cross-dressing at the races. There have been a whole bunch of dudes in dresses since then, but I think that was the Breaking first. Breaking barriers. Would you consider that to be your favorite theme? or Because I mean, you guys have pulled off some amazing stuff. I mean, Star Trek. Is there a current theme? Not really. We had to sort of slow down on that because... We just all got regular lives, bought houses, had kids, uh, other other life stuff crept in. And the theming really took a lot of time. Right. We spent hours and hours on paint jobs and coming coming up with costumes. Some of the costumes were handmade, had hand decorated. Oh, jeez. And we did a lot of embellishments on the car, too. Not just painting, but actually fabricating stuff yeah. like the Enterprise disc on the car for for the star trek theme so man it's really hard to pick a favorite the alice in wonderland paint job was my favorite i think just the detail on it was so cool and it was our theme that never lost we did three races with that and we won all three the costumes were great, too. It was a cool cast of characters. What did you dress up as? I was the white rabbit. Now, how much of the costume? I mean, I'm assuming you don't wear it in the car while you're racing. No. <laughs> yeah, so regular race suit. Helmet. It would get even more expensive if you're, you had a themed race suit. Yeah. Yeah. What, and a little cotton tail or something on the back? But we would stay in costume the entire weekend. We were the one of the early teams to sort of start that. Now people dress up in costume, but they only come to the driver's meeting and then the award ceremony wearing their stuff. It's but kind of hard to work on a car as a French maid. You can do it. I mean, I know <laughs> you can. <laughs> what do you do for work? Because that's actually pretty cool, too. I write episodes of a bunch of the different shows on the Donut Media YouTube channel. And how in the hell did that happen? I was desperately trying to leave my old job. <laughs> I was interviewing at Faraday Future, of all places. They were looking for a copywriter. Okay. And I had a friend that I thought worked there, or she she did work there. But when I contacted her and I said, hey, can you tell me a little bit about Faraday? She said, oh, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, okay. But she said, but I have this other friend who's looking for a writer to kind of write more like technically car stuff and she just put me in touch with that guy and it was bart at donut who was the host of science garage so So. what was your your start with donut did they throw you to the wolves or did they go okay just shadow and kind of follow along for a little bit or 
He just said, I want to do an episode about this topic. Will you submit a script? And I just watched the shows that he had done so far and kind of got a feel for his voice and what kind of jokes they sort of did. And then I researched researched it and wrote him wrote him a script. What was the topic? Uh, you got to remember, it was the first one. Um... <laughs> Or you don't have to remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you don't remember, that's fine. But what do you find, I guess, more challenging? Since I didn't realize you were writing their jokes, is it writing and conveying the technical information in an easy to understand way? Or is it writing jokes that you find to be the larger challenge? It's putting the information in a, a script that reads easily, sounds natural, and is understandable for somebody just learning. Right, you know, right. Ma- making mm-hmm. that sort of technical stuff because I mean Donut does a really good job of just kind of having that that mainstream appeal yeah that's we we like to put in as much pop culture stuff and relatable stuff yeah the idea is you want you want to relate to your audience and you want it to be fun for them to watch while teaching them stuff too and sometimes it is really hard to come up with the pop culture stuff or write a joke and a lot of the time my jokes don't make it or something <laughs> like that they get rewritten or sometimes I'm having such a hard time just getting the script itself right that mm. trying to even come up with a joke is just not even on the radar <laughs> yeah like for me I know if, if I was to be involved in something like that I would try to validate my efforts by looking at like maybe like the YouTube views I go oh that video I wrote got yeah, do, you, do you care about that yeah do you care if it gets 6,000 views versus 600,000 views like does that make you feel any different when your video is well received versus when it isn't not really because surprisingly difficult to predict what what's going to hit and what's not i don't know if it's the nitty-gritty of the content itself or if it's the topic Mm -hmm. or if it's the thumbnail and the title of the video it truly seems random sometimes so i don't take that personally what has been your your biggest video hit i guess you, the of the script that you've written oh uh, like which one that i write that has the most views yeah, yeah. sure i think probably the 2jz or vtech episode of science garage I don't keep track. Do you wade in the internet cesspool and read through the YouTube comments? I will I will read some sometimes. Usually scroll for, I don't know, two pages worth. But it does that thing where it endlessly scrolls. Yeah. Right. So you have to stop sometimes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if, if you get obsessed with that stuff too, right? It's like anything else with social media. You're just, that's all you're ever going to do. You could spend the rest of your life just reading those stupid comments. Yeah. There, there are some gems. There's a lot of positivity in the donut comments, which is nice to see. We don't seem to have too many trolls. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, um, was it the Everything You Know or Everything You Need to Know? That series is pretty up good. Up to speed. Yeah, up to speed. They're pretty funny. I mean, it, James is a pretty funny guy. My son and I have been enjoying the, the, the series where they have identical 350Zs, and then one car is getting the top dollar mods, and the other car is getting the eBay bargain basement mods, and comparing the performance attributes of the cars back and forth. And it's interesting to see what really makes a difference and what kind of doesn't as much. Yeah, that show is a great idea. Really, really good format. So what, when you're, when you're writing, even getting to that spot. So obviously you, I don't know what you, what'd you go to school for? Psychology. Which is funny. My sister, one of my sisters went to school for psychology and she does nothing with it. So that's. Makes sense. Pretty standard. Yeah. I mean, I guess unless you're going to go get a PhD and be like an actual psychologist, it's kind of a... Yeah. Well, you can get an MFT and, you know, be a marriage and family therapist type situation too. I just didn't know what I really wanted to do. They were the classes that I enjoyed the most when Mm -hmm. I went to 
college though. So mm-hmm. just was like, all right, well, I guess I'll pick this. I'll pick this. Be fine. <laughs> so when when you left college, I don't, let's figure this out really quick. So when you left college, what was your first job out of college? Uh, I don't want to say. Okay. <laughs> was it like? I waited tables at Chevy's Mexican restaurant. Nothing, nothing wrong with them. There's, there are actors still waiting tables. Waiting tables was just a way to make some cash and kill some time while hoping for the next best thing. And then I, I only did it for two, three months. And then I landed a job in the legal department at Yahoo. Oh, okay. Ooh. How did you then end up? Because, I mean, writing is a far cry from waiting tables, but it's, I guess there's a clearer <laughs> connection than with the People legal skills. department. Yeah. So how do you bridge that gap and get into writing? I mean, I know you had worked at an, an ad agency for a while, correct? Yeah. I started at an ad agency after Yahoo as a product specialist. I transitioned from that to copywriting on the Nissan team, writing Nissan's brochures. And how did you convince did somebody to let you do copywriting when you're, I mean, I'm assuming at this point, let's. And you don't necessarily have the background. I don't have an official background, right. but I have always been good with words. I just ha- have an innate ability, apparently. <laughs> My dad's actually a pretty good writer, too. He's mm. an engineer yeah. by trade, but he was really good at writing letters, columns, that type of thing. He was the president of their car club, their mm. antique car club, and he would write the president's message and stuff. And he was always good at that. So I think I just inherited it. Now, we kind of touched upon, she's actually done stunt driving in donut videos. The, in other stuff, too. Yeah, in well. other stuff. But I mean, the, I remember seeing you in the, what was it, the Lexus RC? Yeah, you, I was say, you want to tell everybody about the Lexus? Yeah, I did the RCF track edition episode. I wrote it and drove in it, <laughs> which was really cool. That's way cool. Yeah. Do, do they pay you differently for writing versus driving? They they did uh, pay me for both separately, which was very fair of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you're driving, are you just reciting the script to yourself in your head? Yeah, I kind of helped <laughs> because I had Kevin from Vsauce 2 in the car with me and when he did his bits and he was really amazing at memorizing the stuff, but I was driving too fast for him <laughs> in the beginning and he could not concentrate because I was kind of throwing him around too much. Right. And he'd never been in a car like that before. Oh, that's cool. Like driven around like that before. And so I had to slow down for him. And then I also was <laughs> feeding, feeding him, him the lines. Feeding him lines. So what other things have you been featured in for your stunt driving? I did lots of little like YouTube video type things. I was in some running footage for a couple of Mercedes like walk around videos. Nice. And they actually ended up taking a, a clip from the C-Class stuff that I drove up on a mountain and they put it in two commercials on TV. I've seen them. That's got to be a trip seeing yourself on TV. It was a trip because they didn't tell me that they did it. They did it years later. And like they just pulled a bunch of old footage up mm-hmm. and threw it in because it's basically a clip. It's a CPO. One of them right. is a CPO commercial. So pre-owned cars. They just grabbed old footage, threw it all in. And I saw myself on TV and I was like, hey. Well, <laughs> you're a professional driver on a closed course. You're that person. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, I did like a weird Twitter show thing recently. It's a a Twitter show. It's a show on Twitter. It's a website called. uh Oh, I'm forgetting. (laughs) Sorry, Ryan, you're going to edit this part. 
It's oh, no, okay. We'll, we'll leave it in there. Yeah. <laughs> I I still want to know how the hell a Twitter show works, though. You watch it 140 characters at a time? Or? No, it's a it's a video. It's a video on Twitter. They just I didn't even post know Twitter did the videos. Video, yeah. I didn't either until I got this job. Huh. So it's a website that basically covers TV shows. It's like people talking about TV shows. So okay. it was a show that analyzed uh, Big Little Lies, and it was called Big Little Live. And they had a partnership with Buick because Reese Witherspoon's character drives. drives. A Buick in the show, so I drove uh, the carbon copy of that Buick, and I drove the like the hosts. <laughs> yeah, so they went and visited like places where they filmed the show, and I drove the car those Got places, it. and they did some beauty shots and stuff like that. But was it really any stunt driving, or was this just normal leisurely driving? Mostly normal driving. I wouldn't say I've been able to do any actual stunt work on camera, like sliding into a parking space or anything like that. Everything that I've been uh, hired for so far has been driving with a camera car, doing beauty shots, that type of stuff for the most part. But even that stuff takes a lot of coordination. You have to know where to put the car, be consistent about what you're doing. There's other people trying to do their jobs. Right. It's it's not easy. It's way harder than you think it is. Yeah, it's, it's a full-on orchestrated proposal. There's a reason it. they call it precision driver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I'm probably less precise than most. <laughs> you yeah. were good enough for the job that yeah. you did. That's always There's... nice. I was good enough. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so what, as far as stunt stuff goes, though, I mean, what do you, is that really the next thing or what's the next thing for you? I would like to do more driving. Yeah. I love driving. It's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good at words. I can do words, but it's not my absolute passion. Yeah, I just want people to pay me to be behind the wheel, but not like like being a Lyft driver. Or a chauffeur. <laughs> yeah. or, or the airport shuttle right. or things like that. I want to do fun driving. Right. And it's, it's the holy grail of jobs. It's what every car enthusiast wants. So it's like, I'm just one of a, you know millions of people. It's like, please pay me to drive doing fun things. But I, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I'm better than a lot of people. Well, if there's anybody <laughs> out there that needs somebody, it's uh, sarah-fairfield.com. Sarah with an H, by the way. Yes. What is the car that Matthew's about to talk about or ask you to talk about? So after my twin turbo Z, I moved to a completely different kind of Z. There was a 240SX in between also with an oh. SR20 DET. But going from that to the... 2006 BMW Z4 M Coupe, which today is my seventh year with that car. I got it exactly seven years ago today in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, which is pretty cool, actually. Went up to Toronto to get the car and drove it back. Yes. That's awesome. Why Toronto? Why that car? It's one of 68 Sipang Bronze Z4 M Coupes that was sold in North America. And I wanted that color and only that color. I really wasn't interested in the other colors nearly as much. It's an amazing color. It is is beautiful. It's It's a gorgeous car. Thank you. I think so too. So why aren't you driving it today? It was at the end of the driveway and I have to move cars to get it out. I te- Okay, I could have brought it today, but I was picking up a Torsen for our Miata Lemons car before I came here. So I didn't want to put a greasy, icky Torsen in the back of my M Coupe. So I brought the, I brought the commuter car. The beater. I, I 100% get what you're saying. <laughs> so in seven years of ownership, how many miles have you put on the car? 28,000. Geez, that's not much at all. 28,000 miles over seven years. Is this your, your Z4M is basically just your weekend car? Your your fun car? Yeah, it's just my fun car now. At this point, I only take it out maybe once a month or every two months. What is your favorite? If you're going to get up in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday early, hit a road. 
in the, in the M, where are you going? Because for those of you that don't know, and anybody listening from you know out of state or not Southern California or another place, I would make the argument that Southern California has some of the best drivers' roads in the country. Oh, definitely, definitely. We do have a lot of great roads. They're just really crowded all the time, and they're far away from Long Beach, where I live, which is a bummer. I do like Angeles Crest and Angeles Forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glendora Mountain Road is also a great one. Stunt Road no. and like Tuna Canyon. That being a one-way road is a really nice feature, but it's a very tight road. Yes. So it's much more of a Miata road than an M Coop road. What's that other? Um, Latigo Canyon. There's so many good roads in Malibu. That's a really haul for... That, that area is really, really good. And then out, if you go, so go south, go out near like Marietta, Temecula, a lot of great back roads out there as well. Yeah. Um, maybe cool. more suited to... A motor. I was out there on Friday and on the on the bike and maybe a little bit more suited to that. On some Ortega of that. or what were you on? No, I was out. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I did go through, yeah. So I went yeah. Ortega, but then we went out to, uh, oh, what would that be? Marietta area. Okay. A lot of, it's all rolling hill. You don't realize it, but it's all rolling hills and there's some pretty tight, cool spots and really steep downhill. And then, you know, we went out to, out towards Palomar, uh, which is also really good roads. I love a lot of the roads that go up through central California. Last year, Dave and I went and just did a week of vacation after the Lemons race at Sonoma with no destination in mind. We just booked hotels on the fly, took out the old ratty road atlas and looked at it and went, that road looks squiggly and fun as hell. Let's go there. And we just zigzagged back and forth across the hills between sort of Napa Valley and that you know valley that runs up the state mm-hmm. across to the coast and back again. There's a ton of good stuff up there. So much good stuff. Yep. Nobody's out there. Right. Amazing redwoods and views and in March it's all green and gorgeous. We're a little spoiled being down here. Yeah. This, besides cars, is there anything else that you really enjoy? I have a really good time playing beach volleyball. Huh. My my completely not car related in any way. One ball sport, I guess. And I had a lot of fun playing Ultimate Frisbee when I worked at Yahoo. I used to play with a bunch of people that worked at Yahoo. It was their summer getaway on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so I used to play with Jerry Philo, one of the founders of Yahoo. Yeah, that's cool. Bunch of the dudes that were early employees, Brian Acton and Jan Coombe, the guys who invented WhatsApp, yeah. played played Ultimate Frisbee with them. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I wish that some of that success would rub off on me. But. You never know. <laughs> you just got to start an app. You'll be fine. Easy. Yeah. yeah. It's easier said than done. <laughs> it just takes one break, right? And then it's all gravy from there. It's, you know, it's coming. <laughs> I believe you. I I believe me. It's the secret. <laughs> Positive thoughts. Yeah. You know, make a make one make a vision board or something. I am not a self help guru. <laughs> just just for the record. I'm not making a vision board just for the record. Okay. You can in fact Google anything these days, except how to uh, how to get that big break. I'm telling you, mood board, message, uh, vision board. That's it. That's all I got. That's that's the extent of my self help. And with that, we'll take a break. Let's do it. Welcome back from that sponsor break. Oh, wait, we don't have sponsors. We don't. However, if anybody listening wants to be a sponsor, I like Del Taco. If you you know anybody that works at Del Taco, we both (laughs) like Del Taco. We said Del Taco a lot on this show. Del Taco, MeUndies, I wear. However, since this is a holiday episode, Thanksgiving episode, I'm feeling generous. I yeah, feel like giving thankful. thanks to things. I am very thankful that we even have the opportunity to sit here and do this and talk to Sarah and other really cool people. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how That'd we're doing. 
You know, those, those five-star reviews are cool, but even just feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more of, and we can uh, ignore it possibly, but we might even listen. I like constructive criticism, but in the end, uh, you usually... I think I'm right. So just bear that in mind. You should probably ask for the constructive criticism via email, not via the Apple oh, yeah, podcasting platform. That's a great point. This is why we have somebody else yeah, here. So, so blow smoke up our asses on Apple podcast right. reviews, but then tell us the truth at ungrownups at ungrownups.com. That's perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. That's the message we want you to take away from this. We're specifically talking to you, Nicholas. Yes. Yes. All right, so since we have Sarah here, and since we are the ungrown-ups, Sarah, what makes you an ungrown-up? Well, my favorite thing is playing with cars, so I think that makes me an ungrown-up. I definitely don't feel like a grown-up. I I still feel like, how did I get to this point with all these responsibilities, and do people see me as old as I actually am? Because I I, I don't feel this old in my head. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that we all have as ungrownups is that you see yourself at a certain mental age and it's maybe, for me, mid-20s, 27-ish. I look in the mirror and it's a whole nother <laughs> Yeah, whole nother I, I look in the mirror many days. I'm like, who the hell is that guy? Oh, shoot, that actually is me. That's, yeah, yeah. My son is convinced that all the gray in my beard is because I spilt milk in it. That's and it's like, no, this is just age. This yeah. is just the white stripe is oldness. But... Whatever. Does he think that milk bleaches things? Well, I mean, this was cute, innocent kid <laughs> thinking. I mean, this is when he was like four or five. He's nine now, so I'm pretty sure he understands that doesn't actually happen. Uh, He's got I was thinking out. we could have some fun with him, though. But <laughs> the worst part is... is Still what, bleach on him? No. Or milk on him, I should so say. So yeah. we go to the airport. He sees the Alaska Airlines tail, the, the logo of the Eskimo. Oh, yeah. He thinks that's me. I would have played it off. I mean, that is my airline. That's yeah, yeah, but that whole grizzly white beard right. look. Yeah, thanks, mm-hmm. son. It could be worse. Could, he could think you look like the colonel. That yeah, I'm not worse. that white yet. Yeah, you should. Uh, you should go as the colonel for Halloween. And invest in some bolo ties. Yeah. So yeah. playing with cars is what keeps you as an ungrown up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So so since this is our Thanksgiving episode, do you guys have any like Thanksgiving traditions or memories that you look back on? I, you know, it's funny. I, I was actually thinking about this while we were getting ready to do this episode and, and going back in my head. And we used to do the whole turkey thing like as a family. My parents have been divorced since I was four, I think is uh, four. It feels right. Since I was about four. So, you know, two different families. Sometimes then you throw in like a significant other. And now you're at yeah. three different places, four different places. It gets sort of weird. So um, we did turkey for a long time. Uh, and then, I don't know, I would say probably... 15-ish years ago, we stopped. So, like, if it's my mom's... You still get together, you're just not doing turkey? Yeah, we'll go, like, if we do my mom's, so every other year, because my sisters are all married now, and they've got kids, and every other year, they'll go to their, you know, their spouse's house, their spouse's parents or family or whatever. So, when we get together, we don't do turkey. We did lasagna one year. Last year, uh, we did a uh, smoked brisket and a bunch of other stuff. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it's... I don't love turkey, but I love gravy on turkey and, like, and stuffing right so i kind of miss out on that it's kind of a bummer it's kind of the other stuff that really brings the turkey right it's the sides yeah so it's really the sides what's your go-to thanksgiving side stuffing stuffing for you yeah but not that crap with the fruit in it see i'm down with green bean casserole with some nice gear cheese on it and then the onion bits and stuff on it Green bean casserole, I think. Because I, I kind of can write it off as, well, it's green beans. Vegetables are healthy for me. But, you know, all the cream sauce and the so cheese what you're saying and is, the bacon. and So you're saying a big plate of bread with gravy and crap on it, that's not good for you? 
It's slightly less uh, but it's on the got celery. Count. It does have celery in it. Yeah, it's like eating carrot cake, right? It's it counts. <laughs> it counts. Yeah. It counts. What's your favorite sensor? I would say stuffing also. Yeah. And then a close second would be the sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows on top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you guys go to like Thanksgiving, most of the time, it's, I always have to bring something. There's always like a the potluck thing. The, the host will have like the, the turkey and stuff, but everybody's bringing a side or bringing an item. Do you guys have that go-to thing that everybody goes, oh, can you please bring this? I'm not much of a cook. So when I was <laughs> single, it'd be like, oh yeah, I'll bring the, uh, the bread rolls or you know, whatever it is. But my wife is an amazing cook and a baker. So we're always bringing dessert. So her desserts are just phenomenal. But do you guys have those types of... For Friendsgiving that I typically do, we always have lots and lots of pies because my, my friend likes to really bake also. So she usually makes at least a minimum of six pies. So I bring ice cream. Just vanilla or do you have like interesting <laughs> pairings of different no, flavors? Just vanilla. Just vanilla. Just go to the store and get the vanilla. It's easy. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I bring my stretchy pants and, I'm, and, yeah. <laughs> and some beer. I'm not much of a cook either. I, I can, but I don't love the process. Yeah. So, so I, you, I love cooking. So I, I did the brisket last year. My brother-in-law did. So we'll I'll do whatever major portion. I'm are you guys doing do. a theme this year? Uh, I think this year might actually be, I think everybody might be dispersing this year. Okay. So not Everybody's really, away. Not so, yeah, home. yeah. 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 My, my family is kind of similar to yours in the fact that my parents divorced when I was in high school. So there's the different sets of parents and then different sets of family and all that stuff. And for me as a person with a, with a young family trying to be able to create your own family tradition at the same time of still abiding by your fam your own family tradition right. is kind of a pain in the ass so for the last couple of years, um, my wife and I started our own tradition and we leave everybody behind. And so we just go up to the mountains and rent a small cabin and it's just uh, the dog, my wife, my son and I. I don't know about you guys, but I can almost always predict the way Thanksgiving will go. You know, you'll have that one uncle that tells those stories or that one crazy aunt. Hmm. Are you that one uncle? No. <laughs> I hope not. Growing up, I had some of those stories and it's just, you'd always have that one uncle that you never saw except that one time a year. And you're just like, I sort of know you, right. but I don't know you. And it's always kind of weird. But unfortunately this year, we're not doing that. So, so are you then going to the family's house to the parents? And yeah, yeah. So do you guys get together with your families or what do you do? No, I haven't really seen my family for Thanksgiving for several years. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a long drive for right. just to have dinner right. <laughs> or spend a couple days. And it, it's all being the biggest travel weekend of the year. I would rather not participate in that. My family seems to be okay with it. We've got a small family anyway, yeah. and I see them several times a year. So we just stay in town, do Friendsgiving good yeah so my dad was like hey i'm thinking about going to target for black friday nope. and since they open on thanksgiving evening <laughs> and there's one by your house we wanted to know if we could come over mm. and my wife and i are like we didn't prepare for any of this like the house is clean it's fine sure. but it's not like we have hors d'oeuvres or appetizers or anything to to host with so of course they invite themselves over to our house then they uh they ask where all our alcohol is and we're like well we didn't know you guys were coming so we didn't stock up on any of this stuff and then because my parents are deaf i get to help with the sign language interpreting process and my dad wanted to get three new iphones because when you bought them on Black Friday, they each came with a $250 Target gift card. It's not It was worth it. hell. They were in line. And the way that Target did it that year was the store opened, but the Black Friday deal started at a later time. So the doors opened at 6, 
But the Black Friday special for the iPhone started like at 8 o'clock or something like that. So you're in line outside the store to get inside the store. The store opens. Then you're in line in the electronic. Yeah, I know. Shaking your head. No, (laughs) I did not get home until 1 a.m. That was the year I started making plans to go to To Big Bear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how my awesome cabin mountain retreat Thanksgiving tradition started. I can't say never because I don't have the memory to guarantee that ever, but I don't believe I've ever gone Black Friday shopping. Friday, guess what? Nothing. Yep. Nothing. I, I have was Cyber Monday. Like, what's even the point? But I have, as a customer, been in line twice for two Black Friday deals. One was outside of a Baby's R Us, and the other time was for a Duplo Lego train set for my son. That one was kind of worth it, but that one wasn't bad because that was when Target was doing the the 6 p.m. start. But now with Cyber Monday, why? Well, that's what Sarah's saying. Cyber Monday now, a lot of that stuff is starting on the Friday. Right, They've extended it, so who cares? Do it from the comfort of your house. Yeah. I mean, people used to get trampled at Walmart to try to buy, like, what, $50 DVD players back in the day? It's, It's so... Like they're knocking the doors down. All the <laughs> all the surveillance footage, videos of all that stuff. Like I don't. I, people are dying. Yeah, it's, brawls it's, break out because of some must-have item. Are you guys going to, I guess, make use of the Cyber Monday, Black Friday deals and start your holiday shopping? Are you guys done? Or are you guys just over it? I do most of my shopping online now too, and I don't have a lot of people to buy for either. So to be honest, most of the time I use the Cyber Monday deals to buy the stuff that I need. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, then my dad always wants some weird woodworking stuff from some website that doesn't have sales anyway. And my mom, I usually just buy her jewelry. That's not really big Black Friday, yeah, Cyber Black Monday Friday, sale yeah. stuff anyway. Then this is perfect because it kind of plays into what I got, what I want. Um, I have had my eye on a new boom mic. If that happens to go on sale, it's on my list anyway, so I might pick that up. But that's kind of on the on the what I want side of things. And I have not purchased anything recently. I'm very proud of myself. So what I got is nada. Yeah, Ryan and I always like to talk about things that we've that have caught our attention, like something that we want or something that we got. As you know, we're getting into this holiday shopping season, like I now have to stop buying myself stuff simply to have a list of things that other people could possibly buy for me. So I I only buy for the kids. It's kind of similar in my family, except for the fact that my birthday is in December too. So that's why I still have to kind of give them suggestions of stuff that I would like. Sure. Anything you've got your eye on that you want to purchase, Sarah? I have the very unexciting purchase planned of a new mattress. You have something in mind? Yeah. I was looking at all of these new online places. Of course, they show up in your Facebook feed. They're unavoidable. Purple, Casper. There's so many. And they're all over Amazon, too, of course. Just... They have good return policies or pretty good prices. And I did recently see one of the Casper stores at the mall. So I got to actually oh, lay on it and yep. get to see what it really felt like. And I was pretty sold. It's interesting. Their price ranges, though. So that's where I'm a little wary is like they're $500 or they're $1,500. Like, and buying something like that and yeah, I mean, not trying it. It's a pretty big investment. I didn't know they had stores. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's one at the Del Amo Mall now if you want to go. I think the... I always find it like test driving a mattress in a store is the weirdest thing. You're fully clothed. You're just like laying there and you're like, well, yeah. Right, yeah, this is okay. That might be how you do it. <laughs> 
you take it to the oh, next yeah. level. That's a, listen, that's how I sleep. That's how I try on the mattress. <laughs> Just kidding. It, so. It's not a good trial, that's for sure. But what can you do? They, right, but they right. offer you like the 100-day return policy. But so. I've heard like some shit stories about those people that buy the online mattresses and like the return policy is almost impossible and it's this, that, and the other thing. And so I'm not completely sold. So with that in mind, what are you thankful for? This being Thanksgiving. Anything? I'm going to let Sarah go first as I get an eye roll. Oh. You, not only did you get the eye roll, you got the head roll as well. Yeah, I got the full thing. Yeah. I'm I'm thankful for everything, you know? Um, I'm here. I've got, I've got a good life. And I'd rather, even though it's hard sometimes, yeah. rather be here living it than not. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same way. It's... it's Life, I mean, I, I see it as an adventure, so I always try to make the most of that adventure. And yeah, shit happens, and there, there could be some downsides to it, but there's no point in complaining about it because there's other people with much worse stuff going on. But I, I am thankful for for the uh, the friends and family that put up with <laughs> put up with me, <laughs> um, and I'm thankful for the opportunities that I've I've been ga- been given and the the chances I've had to just kind of do fun stuff. Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm just repeating what everybody else is saying. But yeah, I, I, to Sarah's point, it's not the most difficult thing. I mean, it's pretty decent life. I've, I, the opportunities I've been able to have even just in the last year have been pretty amazing. Um, for those of you that don't know, I am temporarily retired, I guess we'll call it, but I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to survive doing some consulting and some, you know, some independent work and some media stuff for some people. And it's been pretty cool. And there's not a lot of people that can say that they're able to do that. You know, there's a lot of people just grinding it out. I've got a, an amazing family that's super supportive. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a lot to complain about him. I can walk downstairs and jump on a motorcycle anytime I want. And that's probably one of the coolest things. And when I, if you told me when I was a little kid that I'd be able to do that or go and screw around with race cars almost anytime I want, I wouldn't have believed you, but to be able to make that your life is pretty, pretty damn awesome. That is pretty damn awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears. Ha ha. Ha, ha, ha. I'm gonna shift gears really quick, and Sarah's got actually a pretty cool hobby. License plate spotter. Yeah, there I you guess. go. And so, it was, so California, I think we're in a good spot in Southern California, where it seems like every other plate feels like that sometimes. It is a vanity plate. If it's on a Prius or a Tesla, <laughs> it is a vanity plate almost ninety percent of the time. Oh yeah. Tesla, yeah. Tesla especially, yeah. <laughs> Well, when the Prius was kind of new on the market, you would see the MPG LOL kind of plates and stuff like that. But Tesla, I think, does take the crown for vanity king or queen plate. Yeah, well, now it's it's like a meme. It's like smug Tesla license plates. It's just a thing because they almost <laughs> always say something about how you don't need gas oh, or yeah. it's something about electricity or amps or kilowatts or <laughs> something along those lines. What what sparked the little, oh, God, I got to take start taking pictures of these because you usually take them and you post them on your Instagram. Yeah, I post a lot on my Instagram stories and I'm in a license plate spotting group on Facebook. I've always paid attention to the license plates for a long time it's only since we've got iphones with a camera with us all the time and so much social media and places to share them that i've really started posting them but my dad taught me a long time ago about the california plate sequential numbering system Mm -hmm. so you can actually tell when a car got its license plate if you know kind of some key years and what the sequence was. Give us an example of of what you mean. So my first car's license plate was 2FIR017 and 2F would place it around 1987. So my next car, when I bought it, it was a 3F 
And it was a 91, but I think it was sold late, like around 92, because nobody wanted a yellow one. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad had a 92 Supra that had a 3B license plate. So cars that are sort of have like a 3B through 3F or somewhere around there, that car was probably sold in 92. It's interesting that once you start understanding that, and then so now you can look around and see at least when the car got its license plate. You you have an understanding of that. That's actually pretty cool. And then, so you look at two things. You're looking for vanity plates and you're looking at sequential stuff. Yeah, I'm always keep kind of keeping up with like what's the latest. Right. What, what number and letter combo are they up to? Anything specific that stands out in your mind that you've like license plate wise you've seen, you're like, oh man, that's ridiculous. You had a good one the other day. Yeah, the other day I saw a new black and yellow legacy plate. It said, I am no one. So it could be interpreted either as I am no one or I am number one. And I love both of them. Yes, it's simultaneously the most depressing and most cocky plate you could probably have. I'm jealous. I also, a couple weeks before that, saw I am perfect. So it's either I'm perfect or imperfect. Oh, yeah. Who knows which one she meant? I don't know. Oh, my God. The other day, uh, I think I sent that to you, sir. There was one that was a redhead plate, and it was... Okay, I'm going to look it up. So my brother-in-law sent this one to me. And if anybody wants to send or wants to follow some of this stuff, uh, we're both on we're all on Instagram. And sometimes but Sarah we, is uh, drives like a girl on Instagram. All one word, drives like a girl. And if you click on her stories, you will see frequent plate posts. Can you and see some of these stories if you're not she's, friends yeah. with them? I don't oh, know yeah, how Instagram yeah. works. And because of her 29-mile but one-hour commute, you're spotting... Plates quite often. I see a lot of vanity plates on a daily basis. I can't even, I can't get pictures of all of them. Of course, you're driving, taking pictures in traffic, not, you know, I always only do it if I know I can be absolutely safe. (laughs) Yeah, it's just amazing seeing the plates. And for me, I almost have more fun, not so much spotting the plates, but trying to figure out what the hell the plate says or is trying to say. Well, so the the one from uh, the the other day, so my brother-in-law sent it to me, I sent it to Sarah. It's N-T-Y-R-D-H-D. Not try hard? No, I think it's supposed to be naughty redhead. Oh. But it could be something completely different. And I just, I'm not going to say it on the on the air, but it's ridiculous. Like some of these, how did they get through the sensors? I had one that I'm surprised made it through. Mine was Z-R-O-F-G-V-N. And my explanation to them was that it meant zero forgiven or unforgiven. Yeah. But it says zero F given. I have a, a friend that lives out in uh, in Ohio. And so her initials were M-E-F. And she loved Labradors. So her plate said Mef Lab. Uh, uh, she oh, had it amazing. for 10 years. Until the, the, the Ohio DMV pulled the plate back. Because they oh. said it was offensive. And they thought oh. it was drug use. That's so funny. Oh, She's man. like, personalized plates are a thing. Especially with EVs. But the ones I think Sarah sometimes posts are the ones that are kind of obvious where it is the car and they put it on the plate like it's BMW 325 and the plate says BMW 325, like the the obvious plates that are just describing the car. But what gets even better is when they're on the car that isn't the car. I love those ones. But the, yeah, the plate that is the car, that's just a pet peeve of mine. I just saw a car. It was a Crosstrek. It had the license plate Muffins, which I like because it's random and it's a word and it's simple and it's just like, huh, yeah, I like muffins. And the license plate frame was blondes might have more fun, but redheads are more memorable or something along those lines. So then it turned muffins into a whole other meaning. It's kind of like, oh my God. 
I like the ones where the license plate is part of the messaging in the plate frame. The whole thing tells you a story yeah. or a sentence. Like, yeah. One without the other, you don't understand yeah. it, but all I together. I mean, I can't think of an example, but I've definitely seen it. I just, I don't have enough time to yeah. read all of that. So I, don't want, I don't need to know that you like yes. <sighs> redheads, Brenda. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's weird. But if you see some awesome plates, send them our way and uh, we'll see if we can figure out what the hell they say. On yeah. my way here, I saw four. 14 PNY GT on a Mustang GT and the license plate frame said I heart my Stang. Oh yeah. That is on that depressing note. That is sad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have lots to be thankful for. Personalized plates may not be one of them. I think we're all thankful for the plates. I mean what other we got to get entertainment out of it though. If every plate was just a sequential number that'd be kind of boring. It would be more boring. There would be a lot less reason to pay attention i did see a good one on a a super so stis are you know i'm pretty convinced that every sti owner automatically gets a vape pen and they'll vape and i happened to be somewhere i was driving i couldn't get a picture i was on the motorcycle but the license plate said don't vape that's pretty awesome that was pretty good was it dnt yeah dnt v-a-p-e and i was like that's pretty fabulous those people that live in states with eight characters plates Oh, you can Just do that so extra much layer. more. Yeah. Are, yep. Is there eight character plates now? New York. New York. Oh, you really? Can do eight characters. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So because there's just so many. I would have thought California would have more than seven. I think their standard issue plates are seven, but they allow, their digits are smaller. They're oh. Just their stampings are smaller. So they allow the customized vanity plates to have eight. Let's leave it here as so we end on a somewhat pleasing <laughs> note <laughs> and uh, hope that everybody out there has a uh, has an awesome Thanksgiving and that uh, you're thankful for everything you have and that maybe you uh, don't get crushed by the crowds of people when you Black Friday shop. Maybe? Yeah, feel free to Black Friday shop. Just don't die. And yeah. uh, we are thankful for Sarah being here. We're thankful for everybody listening. Uh, we're thankful that we even get the opportunity to do this. This is pretty cool. So, uh Really appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate you being here, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. wasn't too painful. Uh, and maybe we can uh, convince you to come back at some point. But uh, yeah, everybody out there, have a great Thanksgiving. Matthew. Thank you, Ryan. Bye. You've been listening to the Ungrown Ups Podcast. And for this, we apologize. <laughs>